podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, we are, I am, we are back. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory. I hope you've missed me. I missed you guys. And as always, I am joined by my very good friends, Adam and Andy. How are we doing, boys? I don't know if I said welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. How are we doing, boys? <laughs> Keeping well, mate. Keeping well. I feel a bit lost with the international mist of football, but grateful that Antonio Conte decided to do the rightful thing and leave Spurs. And then we've got Marvelsman <laughs> and the story there. But uh, apart from that, mate, how are you? Um, yeah, not bad. The metro just completely stopped uh, on the way to work, on the way back from work. <laughs> uh, you know when just the lights go off, nothing moves. You give it five minutes, ten minutes, then people start getting annoyed. I sat there for like twenty minutes before the thing decided to move again. You know, like you don't know whether to just walk to the next station yeah. or just a nightmare. But I ran here. I'm here. Sorry, I'm wiping my nose. I'm a little bit ill, but I'm here in person, ready to go. Short answer, not bad. Andy, how are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm well. Um... Oh, it was confused to be going to the international break because I forget what day of the week it is. It's like Christmas, except less fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's been all right. It's also got to give a shout out to Nargis and Conte for giving us some uh, something to talk about. <laughs> so, it's nice of them, right? It's nice of yeah, them to keep us yeah, going. Exactly. Um, and I've just I've just checked. I've not had time to check yet. Ireland are still nil nil with France. I cannot believe it. I thought we'd be four nil down by this point. So how many? How long has it been? It's half time. Uh, okay. Hopefully we can keep up the good the good luck. We will see where that goes. But welcome to the show, guys. As we said, we're going to be talking three lions. We're going to be talking Azzurri. We're going to be talking a little bit of Poland. Sorry, Adam. Uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of Ireland chat. We're going to talk about my best friends Kazakhstan as I wax lyrical about them tearing shit up um, in Astana and then we're going to do a little bit of a roundup around the different continents to keep you up to date with all of the international action it is quite easy to forget that football's still going on um, I was saying in the group chat today that I've been welcomed for like the psychological break from Arsenal I feel like <laughs> I need this two weeks to get ready for what's about to happen and I just feel like this two weeks has been quite welcome have we been ignoring football in general or have we been trying to keep up with it I've been kind of ignoring it I've been largely ignoring it as well to yeah. be fair. um had some like work stuff as well which got in the way of me watching England versus Italy uh, <laughs> uh yes yeah yeah, yeah. there was that there but was that. listeners Otherwise, we do promise really yeah, exactly. The lower leagues are still going. And listeners, we do promise we do still know what we're talking about, as much as ever anyway. Um, so we are going to go for a very quick little break. And we will come back with some Three Lions and Atzori chat. See you on the other side. And here we are. So, guys... Just how on the trophy is England's name for Euro 2024? I think that's where we need to start, right? Two wins, uh, only one goal conceded. It was been pretty impressive stuff from Gareth's boys, right? Andy, I'll go to you first. Were you impressed with the... We'll start with the win over Italy and then we'll go to Ukraine. The first half in particular, I think, uh, versus Italy, England were incredible. What did you think? Yeah, I felt I felt, I felt England always at the best when they're attacking and trying to play front-foot football. It's just... Under Gareth Southgate, and this game is a sort of synopsis of this, is that um, 
it's the ability to do it over 90 minutes, which seemed to be the bit of the issue. Uh, but no, I think, you know, likes of Bellingham um, is growing into such a important figure within that team these days. Like he's, it's a bit like Gerard used to, where he goes box to box, but he actually he's, he actually plays as part of a team. <laughs> yeah, he does everything, right? Yeah, he does. He does it. He does it. He does it in the right moments as well. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not trying to be be Billy Big Bollocks and go forward for goal every single time. He's he cho- he picks and chooses his moments. Like considering mm-hmm. he's still what a teenager, it's his like his football brain so to speak is so so good mm-hmm. um like his judgment is usually absolutely sound um and i think you know a couple of um under firing players he De- declan rice hasn't had the greatest of seasons but neither west ham as a yeah. whole <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um you know uh but i think he proved if he proved the point and because i think a lot you know a lot of we were all moaning about that squad selection uh because i think we think it, you know i think we all agreed there were some individuals in there which had absolutely no right to yeah. be in the squad um, and I think some of them have maybe done themselves some favours others not so much <laughs> So yeah. when you think about who who do you think hasn't done themselves any favours? I kind of saw like not to pile on him I feel like we always pile on him but Maguire against Ukraine yeah, I was massively and, impressed right? And again against Italy as well he gave the ball away which led up to the goal yeah. you know he's trying to play it out for the back which is fine but I've seen it do it a few times for United that he'll bring the ball out from the back he'll take a few strides forwards he'll pass the ball and if it hits his target fine good pass mm-hmm. you crack on but what you see is that he doesn't and then he struggles to get he's back not got into the recovery position. pace he right? hasn't got the reco- yeah. he hasn't got the recovery pace. i suppose for england it's usually been fine because you've got you've usually had like kyle walker in that yeah. kind of position or somebody of that ilk to fill in his position um when he hasn't got that it's uh he does i think he does struggle a little bit mm-hmm. um and it's when you know it's those kind of mistakes when you're at the euros like i said italy you know, are a different beast <laughs> when it comes yeah, to... Yeah, tournaments, they turn up, eh? Tournaments, <laughs> they wake up. Like, their qualification is never flattering, ever. Like, they never do well in qualification. Um, but a player I was impressed with, and I'm going to go to you, Adam, about this. I really enjoyed, in the Italy game, the Kyle walker Spinazzola battle. I really enjoyed watching that. Um, I thought Kyle Walker did really well against him. Um, mm-hmm. But Spinazzola caused him problems. Like, how, how much did you enjoy that battle? Were you impressed by one more than the other? I don't know if I really noticed it too much, to be honest. Uh, I feel it was because of the way Italy made it really easy for England. And in the same sense, England were quite professional and got the job done, really. I thought there was kind of two contrasting teams there. And I think it was only really, I suppose, second half where Italy decided to turn up and actually cause a fuss, I suppose, Mm -hmm. and cause troubles for England, Um, especially after Luke Shaw got that sending off. That was the only time where you thought maybe England might have to sit back and absorb this as best as they could. You saw towards the end of the game, they were smacking it as far as they could up the pitch, um, which kind of told you the story of how different the two halves were. But 
I think it also highlighted how bad Italy were in terms of preparation for this match going into it and how bad like the selection, because I don't think if you look at the comments, a lot of Italy fans were very happy with the first 11, let alone what they had available to them. So, um, yeah, one of the things that definitely, as you allude to, though, Kyle Walker, I thought, was really good on the day. I thought mm -hmm. he was quite comfortable, though. I thought, thought he really wasn't pressurised as much. I know Spinozola is a very good player and can cause a lot of troubles, especially when he is playing on form as he has been. But I don't feel like England were really that troubled at times. I felt they really were comfortable. And I think that was just down to the fact that they kind of controlled that midfield area. They really did, yeah. you know, take a lot of that possession. And it probably also helped by the fact that Italy didn't really push the English defence or even in the first half, you saw Retegui, who was really struggling to get a footmark in the game because mm -hmm. England had controlled the ball so well. But no one was supporting Retegui in that attack for Italy. So it made it so much simple for the likes of England to just kind of counter-attack and break away. So um, it's contrasting styles there. But, I mean, if you look at the Ukraine game, again, it felt like England were very assured. They knew what they were doing. They just being patient as well. That was the key thing. Because I think in latter years, probably England get a bit frustrated. The crowd get on the back. Whereas there wasn't that, that sense in this match. It was kind of really controlled. And yeah, you kind of felt like as soon as one went in, another was going to follow. Yeah. And that kind of tells you the story. So really good two wins for England. And I think if anything, you look back and you kind of go, right, I think they're the two hardest games now played in this group. I I couldn't help get but get the feeling like, oh, okay, like not to jinx it. I don't think it'll jinx it. But I'd be like, okay, yeah, we'll be fine. We'll be at the Euros. That's fine. I literally messaged like my boys at home on the WhatsApp. I was like, right, uh, weekend in Germany next year, boys, because I feel <laughs> like we're kind of, we're getting there now, I think. Um, yeah. But I think that Italy game in particular was really interesting because as Andy said as well, England being able to see out games, we're good on the front foot, but then what we do is just sit back and just invite them on. And that's what we did in the second half. But I think, we're getting closer to an England team that can just kill games off in the first half. And I think that's what we're kind of getting to. We're like a few steps away. We just need that bit more experience, bit more calmness in the second half to not leave ourselves so deep or so like kind of, it was a bit of a hairy end to the Italy game, right? I think just with more experience, what we'll be able to do is get three goals in the first half and then just manage the second half. And I think that's where you, as a team, especially at international level, you just start to win things, right? You start to get further more consistently because you can just manage games. I think we're just getting towards that point because it is still quite a young squad. There's quite a few young players in there. I think we're kind of seeing signs of that. But for Italy, Retegui, he's a player that nobody really expected to get called up. He's been killing it out in Argentina. Interesting. Um, after the game, he did a post-match. Now, I don't want to sound all Brexit, but here we go. He did a post-match conference and he couldn't speak Italian. He, he spoke in Spanish, obviously, because he's Argentinian, right? And I thought, could you imagine an England player playing for England and then doing a post-match conference not being able to speak English? How much the Daily Mail would set fire to itself in anger. It just absolutely blew my mind. But beyond that, I thought... In both games, he's looked pretty dangerous. Now, as you said, he struggled to get in the game, but Italy weren't the most attackingly no. fluid side. But he had two chances. He's put them both away in both games. Do you think there's a future for this guy in the Italy national team? Is he like the great next hope of the Italian front line? I'll start with you, Adam. What do you think? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think Italy have struggled for that focal point up top for a number of years. It's not just kind of happened just since like the last year or two. It's certainly been happening more recently. Um, but I thought he actually had a good game against England, despite the fact that we're saying that Italy weren't very attacking minded, especially in that first half of that game. And certainly if you look at the highlights, if you want to, of the Malta game, he offers something different. I think something completely different in terms of that dynamic kind of front-footing attacking player. And I think he's, it's interesting that the likes of AC Milan and Inter Milan have turned down the opportunity to sign him, which I think he could do a really good job for both, to be fair. Um, and I think his stock is going to get higher as a result of these two games. I think there is definitely signs of a quality player. It's interesting. I was listening to an interview about who is Rotegui, what, what, why isn't the Argentinian kind of team really gutted about missing on him? And I think when you look at the depth that they've got right now, it kind of tells its own story that, you know, he's not really considered as a miss as such. Um, but for Italy, that's a massive find, um, especially given the fact there wasn't much noise prior to his kind of selection. So I think tells you a lot about Italy right now, where they are right now. Um, but I think he's a player that will build on this. And I think, you know, I th there is that kind of piece around Mancini calling it out that there isn't enough quality. I, I found it kind of really strange that Southgate kind of said very similar sentiments about the England squad recently. But for Italy, there is that kind of deep vein kind of issue of there's not enough talent coming through, it seems. But is it a case of they're not being given a chance to play yes. and the infrastructure in Italy, which is the huge issues that have been going on for decades? It's not just now. I think I think it's a really interesting point because it's kicking off a huge like debate in Italy now. And it's in all the papers. It's on all the football TV shows about Italy naturalizing players. Now, Italians in general, I think, so, haven't they? Well, the thing is, I don't think like there was Camoranese in the 2006. Was it Thiago Motta, Motta, Jorginho, Daniel like, Osvaldo? Yeah, yeah, Daniel Osvaldo, what guy? Yeah. Um, but there's always been a bit of uncomfort within Italy about naturalizing players because the Italians are very, um, how do you say this diplomatically? Proud. <laughs> You have to be Italian to be considered Italian, right? And you have to be what they think is Italian to be considered Italian. So I think players like Nyonto, for example, if he hadn't been born in Italy but was naturalized, there would be a lot more problems with him coming into the team, I think, than, for example, a player like Rategui. So there's an argument across the Italian media now in football about how comfortable they are with naturalized, naturalized players and then realizing that actually they've only got an issue depending on what how how dark their skin is, really. But it's a really interesting um, debate that's going on. I find it really annoying that Mancini's brought up this thing of lack of talent, though, because I think Italy has lots of exciting players. It has lots of young players. It always has. It's always produced great players. It always will. What the issue is, is that they don't get the opportunities. Mm. Like Juventus have actually started this next-gen team that now play in Serie mm. A, right? And that is their opportunity to kind of start leaning on youth products and start kind of looking at that way. And I think more teams need to start doing that. And the, the FIGC needs to start accommodating that to happen. And I think, look, in England, I'm delighted that we don't have B teams and C teams in our league system. I don't want it. But I think if you've already got it, then other teams should be doing it because Juventus is eventually going to leave people behind. And what it does do is it is a huge benefit to the national team. So I think maybe Mancini 
has a point, but I don't think he's pointing the blame in the right direction. It's not the players, it's his bosses that are the problem, I think. But for Gareth Southgate, Andy, I think it's a really weird comment for Gareth to say that there's a lack of talent coming through in England when he's arguably got the most exciting generation of English players we can, well, we can imagine. He, and a lot, an awful lot of talent that he chooses to ignore for long yeah. periods of time. Like, There's... where do you think these comments have come, come from? I don't honestly don't know. It's because uh, he's normally somebody who's quite careful with his words, and there's usually reasoning to why he says what he says, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. So I think it, it did was a bit of a blind side. But he's, I think he's he's made a couple of odd digs this week. He's made a bit of a dig about how um, you know of, of the apparent lack of talent in the England team, where there's on form England talent, English talent playing, you know, in Italy at centre back that he chooses to ignore week in, week out. You've got people like James Madison, who he flat out ignored for a good couple of years before he's finally been forced to bring him into the fold. You know, there are talented players out there that aren't really sort of, you know, getting a chance. And I think, you know, the other side of it as well, like we haven't got so little talent in this country that you clearly got uh, Calvin Phillips having played about nine. He's played more for England this season than he has done for his actual club. Well, that was <laughs> Harry Maguire, I would say. Harry Maguire now is just an England player, right? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, even with, at least with Harry Maguire, you've got sort of the argument. He starts the cup games, he starts the Europa League games. Okay. okay. So he has had game time, you know, and given how often Man United are playing, he's, he's probably still playing an average once yeah. a week still. So it's yeah. not like he's completely not match fit. Not saying that justifies his selection, but there, I guess I could see a logic to it. Yeah, Whereas yeah, Calvin yeah. Minutes just hasn't played any football of any description at all. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, that's true. And yeah, that's yeah. kind of where it's a bit odd. You know, he's stuck with Pickford, even though he's not been in the best form this season. And he's part of a Everton side, which an absolute yeah. bin fire. Um, you know, he's also made a weird dig about Marcus Rashford. Like he, he was injured. He took a knock. I was going to bring this up, actually, because I think... He's got a fair point. Rashford always seems to be injured for qualifying and then expects to be called up for international tournaments. I don't think you could do that. We're not whales with gigs. Like you can't do that. <laughs> like I can they... I can see where Gareth's coming from. It always seems like he happens to like Haaland pulled out of international duty the day it started. And you're like, all right, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course, mate. It feels like Rashford does this a lot. I feel that that's the thing though. Like, there is an argument for that, but there's also the argument that he as a result of him, for example, you know, with the delayed Euro 2020, mm-hmm. obviously 21, he basically went to that Euro squad, even though he was carrying an injury that needed surgery. Fair he point. De- he yeah. delayed that surgery so he could play for England at the Euros. He but because that's back. a major tournament, right? But he came back, he was injured for three months and then, you know, took him a good year to regain his form. So, you know, that doesn't strike me as somebody who isn't too fussed about playing for England. And at the end of the day, if you've got, you know, United have played probably more games, I think, than pretty much anybody else in the league. And he plays in pretty much every That's single game. She disagrees. He plays on he plays on the Saturdays. He plays on, he plays he does the first night shifts in Europe. Like he plays twice a week when, pretty much every single I, week. I don't know how you feel about him, but it's not like Southgate's fault that Ten Hag can't recycle his squad. I think that like <laughs> it feels like it feels like Rashford 
Like, of course he's going to turn up for an international tournament and play through an injury. Of course he is. That's not the point. My point is that he's trying to... Like, you, you can't just not do the qualification and it seems to be a pattern and then just expect to get picked. Like, how do you feel about it, Adam? Uh, I think he's got quite a lot of players at his disposal, to be fair. He's got a lot of talented players that could play in that kind of central role if he wants to instead of Rashford now. At the end of the day, if he feels deep-rooted in the kind of feeling that he should be playing qualification as well as then being in contention for the main squad at the main tournament, then Southgate has to draw the line and say that's what he wants to achieve. Um, Personally, I I always feel like qualifiers are such a long kind of drawn-out process anyway. You're going to be utilising a lot of players and there's been lots of players that have been then able to make the kind of cups tournaments because they've had injuries as a result of off the season aspects or their club, you know, where they've had an injury. So I'm not too concerned about that, but I can appreciate where the sentiments are coming from. Um, mm. It just depends on how you're feeling. I feel I feel like when you're a national team, you should rotate your team. You should be able to explore other options, especially at a group stage where you're trying to qualify. This is your perfect opportunity to find what is your best group, unless you're in a situation where you need results. Mm-hmm. I, I think England have got that luxury where they can afford to Plus, not have Rashford also and the crack bit, on. And also the bit we don't know is like you know how bad the knock of the injury is. Like if you can't, if yeah, you can't play if for it, it's you know at the end of the day if you can't turn up and be a hundred percent, then what's the point in you being there? There is also that element to it as well because mm-hmm. if you keep, if you keep playing for injury, it's going to get you, it's going to hit you eventually, and you end up out for you know rather than taking a two week to rest and niggling injury, you end up out for a few months at uh, the end of yeah, the season. There is a, that, like, and I'm sure he is injured. It just seems like there's a pattern that across qualification periods, Rashford does seem to. Let's have just... injuries disproportionately across international breaks as opposed to any other time of the season. Um, I, but, suppose but... Back in, I suppose back in the day, Fergie was notorious yeah. for it, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course he was. Of course he was. And you, that's what, like, that's good club management, right? It's not, especially England. Fergie doesn't give a shit if England win anything. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, that's good you know, club management, think, right? Uh, yeah, and I suppose people say the same thing with Haaland, doesn't it? It's just, yeah. <laughs> Pep's but I've been on the phone and gone, no, mate. Yeah, you're not playing, are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> play at all. Um, but before we move on from England, we do need to talk about more Gareth Southgate comments about a striker who's been tearing it up in League Earn, um, following Balogun. Now, yeah. this player has been obviously, I think he's only behind Mbappe and Messi in the top scorer charts in League Earn now. Um, really exciting season for him. I wasn't called up for England. And before, because I'm afraid that people are going to expect me to be Arsenal biased on this, I can fully understand why he's not being called up. He shouldn't have been called up to the England team. There are players ahead of him in the lineup. He's only 21. Like, mate, slow down a little bit. But is it worth Gareth Southgate trying to get him on board just so that the USA don't have potentially a very good striker in the next World Cup? Because what we said in the last World Cup was, what were USA missing? A striker. They were missing someone that could put a ball in the back of the net. Do we really want to hand them a talent like that? I think I'd be trying to get him on board and say, no, don't play for them. Just not them. Go to <laughs> go to Nigeria. Go to play up front with Osama and you'll be fine. Like, do you think Southgate's playing this one right? Adam, I'll start with you. Uh is he playing it right? I don't know. But I've never really understood his philosophy when he's picked squads anyway. I generally feel he goes for people <laughs> yeah. that he trusts. Ultimately, 
if there was a pathway, then I think Southgate would have given some hints or indications that he's looking mm -hmm. at him and feeling like he is. I don't even feel confident that Southgate's actually been to see him in France. Like, oh, so there's I, no I, way. There's Absolutely no way. Exactly. So from my point of view, I don't. I think for his best interest, he should look at number one and he should look after himself. Mm -hmm. So it, ultimately, when it comes to these kind of what country you decide to play for, depends how he feels about the situation as well. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, ultimately, I, I think there's we could name between us probably three or four strikers that are potentially ahead of him right now, and would we think that Balogun stands a chance in, say, 10 years' time if he was capped right now and then never appears again? I don't feel confident that he would appear again. So for yeah. his best interest, if he feels the US is the best kind of way, so be it. And I think there's loads of other players that are coming through in the under-17s, 18s right now that potentially have those signs that could emulate even better stuff. So from my point of view, it's down to how he feels, but... I, I don't think there's I think, like much love lost there. I think, yeah, I think it goes down to how he views his career. Like if he, you know, he could probably go play for the USA and you know what? He'll finish his career with like a hundred caps for them. Yeah, Easy. Yeah, yeah. He'll yeah, clean a yeah. hundred caps, especially as the USA tend to play more games into mm -hmm. that internationally yeah. than we do. Um, so you'll get a hundred caps easy, but at the same time, um, you know, you if he got his head down, if the likes of Ivan Tony is probably a good example of him to look up to, you know, just because you're not in the England squad at, tw at 23 years yeah. old, it's not, yeah. it's, yeah. Not it's not a disaster. It's, mm. you know, there's nothing wrong with, because if he puts in those kind of numbers for two, three, four years straight in the top league, that'll put him into the English squad on merit. And I've seen yeah. other countries do it as well, like Argentina, I think have done it with Garnacho, Brazil, you know, I've seen Germany do it quite a bit themselves. They give players caps just to get them on board and then not use them again for three, yeah. four years. Mm -hmm. And you must be sat there as a player going, have you really earned that appearance or were mm -hmm. you just trying to get It was on just the in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Yeah. And, that, and that, you know, if I was going to be capped by my national team, I want it to be because I was one of the best performing three or four forwards in that country. Uh, yeah. So if he, I, I think he just has to accept that if he wants to play for England, he's going to have to grind for a couple of years. If he wants international recognition there, you know, now, um, like the old instant gratification thing, then yeah, I'm sure he'll get, you know, he could ask to play for the US and he'll get called up every single squad. It will be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm I'm intrigued to see. I hope like Arsenal kind of keep him next year and we can see a bit of him because it looks like he's been tearing it up in League One. But it'll be interesting to see where he goes. He's on a full tour of the US at the moment. He's getting invited on all the talk shows. He's yeah. meeting all the sports stars. He's getting the VIP treatment out in the US at the moment. So he's definitely making the most of it. It feels like he might go that way, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Before we move on, though, very quickly... People in Italy getting very, very annoyed with Mancini, getting very disheartened <laughs> with the football they are playing and the squads he is picking. Adam, do you expect him to take them into Euro 2024 and do you expect him to be in charge beyond July? I think he's got a lot of kudos in the bank still. Um, the pressure will be is if they don't get results. Now, they did get their win against Malta in the end, uh, granted. Um, but I think he's going to be playing this card around they don't have enough quality around them a long time. Um, Griffo, for example, who turned out, obviously the SC Freiburg striker, yeah, couldn't hit a barn door to save his life. 
Um, and I, I think the other thing that I was surprised at, and I don't know about you guys, but the formation that he chose to go with against England and subsequently against Malta, he went with 4-3-3, which isn't something that they're used to, being no. that they're obviously used to playing three centre-backs really more so. So the fact that they decided to play the way they have, I I, I feel he's going to get found out more so soon enough. Uh, um, and I've, I don't know what he's trying to accommodate here because it seemed like there was a lot of older players in that game against England, for example. And some of those players, I was even suspectly kind of thinking to myself, on what form is that guy in this squad? Because I don't think like the likes of a Cherubi somehow gets ahead of some of the other defenders that they've got yeah. at their disposals, for example. So I've noticed that Matteo Damiano still exists. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he's a bit of a weird one because he's been decent for Inter in general, but in the last couple of weeks, he's been absolutely shocking. Um, yeah, it's a weird one that he gets called up. That is an odd one. Yeah, that is an odd one. I think players like Bernardi is always disappointed for Italy, really. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's time to look for a different option from him. Um, the midfield, in, in theory, looks good. Barella, Jorginho, Verratti is a very yeah, good midfield, strong but enough. It's creaking a little bit. Like, Jorginho is the wrong side of 30, and Verratti is even further the wrong side of 30. Like, it is creaking a little bit. It does feel like he just needs to take a risk on a few a few more young players. I feel like P Politano's a weird one. Like, he's having a good season yeah. with Napoli, but he's not been one of their regular starters. He's kind of come in a bit later in the season when the legs are running out a bit. There are a few weird weird selections in there and Grifo missed an absolute sitter against Malta right was it or yeah it was Malta yeah. yeah Malta but the omissions as well Zaccagni for example on yeah. the format Lazio yeah, Orsolini yeah, yeah. who we've been banging on about and he yeah. wasn't there like he could have yeah. could have done a job there so yeah I think there's a few omissions around this kind of talent issue that Mancini cites I don't think is necessarily there a lot of my students are now going, we want Ancelotti now. Can we just get Ancelotti, please? We're, they are absolutely sick of Mancini. And it was funny because I was like, God, if a, if a manager won a tournament in England, there would never be talk of sacking him again, let alone like two years later. <laughs> like, it does feel a little bit, yeah. a little bit spoiled, but it is going a little bit sour. Um, but Adam, just to pick you up, we're going to move on. And we're going to go to <laughs> Poland's international break. New era, new manager. Right? How's it going? <laughs> same shit. <laughs> yeah, um, same shit, exactly. It, if you could kind of have a meme to describe this kind of whole situation, it's that Mitchell and Webb sketch where they're dressed as Nazis and they go, Is, are we the Nazis? <laughs> like, the Nazis? And, and instead yeah. you replace that was Mikhnevich actually that bad? Like, kind <laughs> yeah. of, and the answer is still yes, he is that bad. Um, but it didn't get off to a good start in terms of the camp itself. So prior to the games... Uh, Łukasz Skorupski, the Bologna goalkeeper, told an interview in the press to say that the players were arguing at the World Cup around the bonuses before they qualified to France and play off that knockout game. So unfortunately, it started off with a bad kind of taste in the mouth for a lot of the Polish journalists and fans. Um, certainly Lewandowski had to make an apology in a conference prior to the match. Wow. Obviously, there's a lot of doubt about Fernando Santos and what he actually brings to this team because <laughs> he's been paid 3.5 million and one of the most handsomely paid coaches to well, be there. Um, where's the British FA got that kind of money? Is from? that in Zwati? I hope that's in Zwati. <laughs> well, that's... It's in Euros. Um, <laughs> but all I can say, it didn't start off too well. And then you've got a really nice story 
of Ben Lederman, who is an American-born, um, but due to his heritage where his parents were basically Jews that have evacuated Poland, wow. he went to America, um, was actually, he started off his football career at Barcelona, believe it or not, um, tried to have trials at a few Premier League clubs, then ended up in Israel before being snapped up by Rakov Chensnohova. And that's where Fernando Santos met, saw him play for a game in uh, the extra classer and picked him for the squad. Now, if he does get a cap tonight, so far I'm just keeping an eye in the background. He hasn't appeared just yet, but he would be the first Jewish player to play for Poland since the Second World War, wow. uh, which would be, oh, wow. I mean, that'd be an amazing story in itself um, because, yeah, as you can imagine, there's not many Jews in Poland living yeah. there at the moment. So, um incredible story because yeah the guy actually is quite talented there's a huge story around him and what prospect he could be so um from that point of view really good nice story in amongst this kind of like aftermath <laughs> and disaster chaos and it got to a bad start within what a minute uh conceded a goal against the czech republic and then a minute later we can see the second one and you just like how bad can this be um and it, it, I mean, possession-wise, we were really good, but we just couldn't create any chances. We couldn't get anything going. Um, Lewandowski was very much isolated by himself up right. top, um, but it was just such a poor game. Like Carol Linetti, who plays for Torino, had a terrible game in the middle of the park. In the back line, you had Matty Cash, Mikhail Kobrovnik, Jan Bednarek, um, and then I've got the, <laughs> the eye back. roll said everything. Uh, I know, yeah. It's like <laughs> terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, and it, it just, I, I, I feel like the Poland squad needs to be really shaped up. It needs some fresh blood, just a whole new way of thinking. And it, it, it's just not nice. The atmosphere is not nice. Um, players don't look like they're playing for the actual shirts. Um, Hey, we we need a massive win against Albania, and Albania is not going to be easy. Right now, we're winning one 0 as we speak. Karol Svodersky scoring. Um, he's changed the lineup. He's changed the personnel. So let's see what happens. But huge question marks about this team. I mean, on paper, and when you look at the group, we should be at least trying to finish second mm -hmm. at best. But I I I, I can't see. It. I think if we can at least win this game against Albania and hope that. On the return legs, we beat Albania again and we beat the Czech Republic in Poland. Then we should say we should be there. But um, it's it's a weird atmosphere at the moment. I, I don't like the Poland squad as it currently stands. It's weird because well, when Fernando Santos was appointed, we said he's not exactly the revolutionary mind you want or, or need, no. really, is he? He's, he's going to bring in that kind of boring, um, defensively solid football, but apparently without the defensive solidity. Um now, obviously, it will take him a while to get his ideas across and stuff. International management, you don't have that much time on the pitch. But it's definitely concerning about... I feel at this point, as you said, you start looking at the players, don't you? And going, okay, guys, um, like, what's going on? Like, is it, mm. if it's two different managers, same problems, then the problem's elsewhere, if you know what I mean. So I think it's, it's, it's disappointing to see. Um, but I think you'll still be fine. Poland will still get there. This is a massive tournament, right? There's like, I think there's only be about four teams left at home at this rate. So I think you'll be fine. Um, but if that's everything on Poland, I do want yeah. to jump to the story of the week, I think, or story mm -hmm. of the international break. They'd lost four games in a row, a team that had been beaten eight nil by France hammered everywhere. They went, 
they were 2-0 down against the Danish, thanks to Hoyland. Uh, incredible performance from him. We're going to talk about mm. him. But in the 70th minute, a penalty, a questionable, a questionable <laughs> handball, I'll be honest, a little bit generous, um, got, the, got the Kazakhs back into it. An absolute banger to draw the game level. And then the 89th minute, 87th minute, yeah. a header to win the game. The player took his shirt off and was then sent off a couple minutes <laughs> later for a foul in midfield to make the end just a little bit nervy. But Kazakh, Kazakhstan, sorry, get the biggest win of their history, without a doubt, um, beating Denmark 3-2. And it was an incredible game. Now, I, like long-term listeners of the pod will know that I, I lived for a year out in Kazakhstan. Absolutely loved it. Incredible country. And ever since, I've always kept an eye out on the results. Now, on Sunday, I was meant to be helping the missus clean the house, right? And the deal was, I was like, right, I'm going to have Kazakhstan-Denmark on in the background because Denmark are going to win, but I just need to keep an eye on it to see what's happening. And then when the 70th minute hit, it got to 2-1, and then I'm kind of cleaning a bit slower, just looking at the screen. <laughs> and then it goes 2-2, and I'm like, okay, fully just sat on the sofa watching the game. Like, don't come in it. I'm cleaning. Don't come in it. Don't come in it. I'm cleaning, I promise. Incredible game. Um, what were your thoughts seeing this? Just an incredible turnaround. Like, unbelievable, right? I love these stories in international breaks. There's always one. Um, uh, Andy, I'll start with you. I Yeah, I did not see that shit coming at all. Mm. Like, it's um, second half, he just come out flying, didn't they? Um, mm-hmm. But we've got to talk about that second goal from Kazakhstan. It was very nice. <laughs> the way he hit it was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I always find long-range goals are basically intrusive thoughts that have taken over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, this, was, this was his intrusive thoughts coming over where he just sort of sits there and goes, right, what's the worst that could happen? Turns into his, you know, it reminds me of that sort of Van Bronckhorst effort in the World Cup a good few years ago, where he yes. launches it from no man's land, so he has absolutely no right to. Uh, but oh, what a hit! He's not going to score a better goal in his entire career ever. <laughs> yeah, I need to give him his. I need to give him his credit. Um, Ashkat Tagebergen. Um, he's mm. 32 years old, playing for Tobol Kostanai in the Kazakh Premier League. They're currently third. The season's just kicked off there. Um, yeah, definitely the kind of the crowning moment of his career. And looking at his shot map is absolutely hilarious. It's three shots and they're all from about 40 yards. <laughs> <laughs> so he had a few chances, but one of them went in. Um, absolutely smashed it. And then the, the player to get the winner at the end, I'm Batov. Um, I love a player taking his shirt off in celebration and it instantly biting him in the arse. We saw it with Giroud, Adam. What did you make of that moment? It's beautiful. I'm sure he wasn't even thinking about potentially, oh, I might get a red card from a result of doing this. I think he was just going absolutely schizo. Um, it was a well-placed header, in fairness. And yeah. I think the fact that it was the winner, I think he doesn't care if he gets red carded, to be fair. I think he's just like, I've just <laughs> yeah. scored the winner against the Denmark team that probably on the share of the game, probably should have sewn up the game. Mm-hmm. They should have seen it out. But um yeah, there seems to be an issue with Denmark at the moment. They don't seem to be that, um, I suppose, they haven't turned that corner that they kind of showed at the World Cup. Um, really don't know how to do it. I was speaking to a Danish neighbour of ours, and obviously the prior to this game, they'd only just beaten Finland 2-0, yeah. or I think it was 3-0 even. 
um, and he wasn't convinced about the way they played. So there's some question marks about the Danish side at the moment. And they I just need to lot... play Ireland a couple of times in the bureau. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is true. we're waiting, boys. We're always waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of which, Ireland are now one nil down. Uh, Pavard has just scored. Fantastic. Um, but <laughs> for Kazakhstan, so that's going to be another banger as well. Pavard, Pavard is one of the. Speaking of Pavard, he only, he's, he's a bit like uh, some of the German players over the years, like Podolski and Close. That they only seem to turn up for their international teams and do yeah. football at club. Never hear of him from <laughs> at all. Never hear from him. Um, but I do want to give a few shout outs to some Kazakh players, um, especially because I saw him live. Now, his name when I was in Kazakhstan, um, Islam Khan, uh, he got the assist for the first no for the corner i think he took the corner he's currently 30 years old and he doesn't have a club at the moment he is unattached he is wow. just a kazakh player and he absolutely ran that midfield a player i really enjoyed watching when he was at kairat uh, um in almaty and two players that we've talked about before i think um alip at center back who plays for zenit st petersburg he's only 23 years old a really mature defender a defender's defender doesn't do much going forward but proper tackler like steady, decent short passing, really composed defender, really excited about him. And um, the player who scored the penalty, Zayut Dinov, um, another 24-year-old player, currently playing in CSKA Moscow. He plays centre-back for CSKA and he played central midfield for, for Kazakhstan. So a bit of a versatile player, but two players there to keep an eye out on. Um the Kazakh League, I was looking at it for kind of an upcoming video I'm working on. There's a lot of stuff going on there. This is a team that's worth um, keeping an eye on, I think. A lot of exciting young players. So definitely, if you have the chance, if you're really at a loose end, give them a go. Um, but Denmark, they seemed so uncomposed. They had the chance. They were 2-0 up, absolutely cruising. And just the second that first goal went in, they, they collapsed. But we need to talk about Hoyland, Adam. The first goal especially... The strength he showed on that by just pushing off the centre-back was incredible. How excited should we be about this guy? He's being compared to Haaland now, not just because their names sound yeah. similar. Yeah, no, definitely. We should be very excited about what he can do uh, going forward. I think there's been a lot of comparisons to Haaland in terms of the way he seems to be quite strong, pacey, but attacks the ball, has a good goal-scoring record at the moment. Um, seemingly seems to be transitioning that to the international stage as well because he got that hat-trick against Finland. Um, so I think there's a lot of signs there to kind of say, if you want to get someone that's kind of on the cusp of being even better, snap him up this summer, snap him up from At uh, Atalanta. Uh, it doesn't matter how much they charge you, you're probably going to make more money on him in the future. Uh, I can see him going to Dortmund at this rate and being there as a replacement for Haaland. And then who knows? Um, but yeah, I think we should be really looking up to this guy and thinking, how long will it be until we see him back in, say, the Premier League or somewhere like that, for example, and ripping it up in the Champions League? I think he's a really interesting talent. Someone that Man United could do with, really, to uh, kind of rotate with Rashford. I think it'd be a really nice addition. To I mean, any, any, anything resembling a centre forward that could score goals will be happy with. And he's had, a, exactly. he's had a good, he's had a decent, he's had like a sort of a breakthrough season at Atalanta as mm -hmm. well. Uh, given how inconsistent they've been this season, I think um, 
he, you know, maybe another season in Italy, and he could cert- if he gets into double figures, he'll certainly find suitors abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he look, yeah. he looks a handful. He's got a good all-round game. Hopefully, he won't turn out to be a bit like Dolberg, where he's a bit of a flashier pan and kind of went back there into obscurity a little bit. There is a risk of that. So maybe there was, there was a lot of hype about him a couple of years ago. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I feel. But... I feel he's got the physicality that that Dolberg never had. I feel like he's mm. got that. When I was watching him, it's like not often you see a player like Holland who's massive and also fast. And like with Hoyland, he is just huge and rapid. And it just always makes you think of like American football players when you're like, these are like genetic freaks. I don't understand how they work. (laughs) He's just got that build and he's absolutely just off the blocks, just incredible. So I think He's a striker that United could be looking at, and he'll cost you a bit less than Osimhen. So I think it could be a decent, <laughs> yeah. a decent move that because Osimhen's going to be north of one fifty at this rate. Um, but we're going to wrap up uh, Europe there, and I think Andy, are you ready to take us round North America? Yeah, so you've got the uh, Concacaf uh, Nations League, which is always absolute fucking carnage. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> It's not, it's not been too many shocks of notes, but the best resort of the weekend probably would have been for Jamaica away yeah. at the Azteca playing Mexico. And uh, Fulham's Bobby De Cordova Reed scored as an absolute Howitzer. Um, yeah. off you know, half volley, first about 30 yards out, roof of the net. It, like, if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube. Google it, whatever. You have to watch it because that is a, that's probably the best goal I've seen uh, during the weekend. Um, so other than that, uh, USA have had to make themselves feel good. Obviously, they had a bit of um, tumultuous World Cup campaign with uh, their coach getting involved in some high school oh, beef. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that story, saga. by the way. It's- well, it's, it's so kind of soccer moms. It's fucking it, brilliant. That it's, story. it's so it's such an American kind of drama to happen. Well, it's kind of has been resolved, but not resolved. Um, ben Balthazar is obviously um, kind of sort of absent <laughs> at the moment. They haven't really decided uh, what we're going to do with him long term. So, um, but yeah, a few players that could probably do some performances. Weston McKenney got a couple, got himself a couple of goals. Christian Pulisic, he won 7-1 against um, Granada. So there were um, a few players that could probably, you know, that could do some goals that got them. Um, so they're, they're doing all right as it stands. They're playing a little bit later on. Um, for the hips, for a bit of hipsters, sorry now, which is technically South America, but um, because Conky Calf reasons, it's now North America. None of it makes sense. None of it <laughs> None makes of it sense. Makes sense. Yeah, no, nothing in Conky Calf makes sense. And if you the, the sooner you settle with that, the better. You should see the Conky Calf Champions League. It's it is something else. Uh, well, they they've had a plucky 2 0 loss to Mexico, who to be fair, like, anytime we've seen Mexico, they've been really, really unimpressive. Mm. Um, they they haven't got the caliber of players that we did a few years ago, and I think they're for a, for a country that's so big on their football, it does outstand me. They're, they're, they're lacking in sort of mm. top class talent at the moment. Um, I think so. I think they'll be a concern. Gary Dean's obviously their Nations League games, and obviously in the longer term, I do worry about 
what kind of pipeline they've got coming through for the World Cup in 2026, of which they'll be the co-hosts, because I don't think they'll be looking particularly fantastic. They do um, not want to be the worst team out of America, Canada and them, right? They do not want to be the worst hosts. And I think like, there's all sorts of trouble and all sorts of problems in Mexican football. And you, you, as there always is, I think, but more now more than ever. And you can see it on the field. There is not much quality there. Just get Carlos Vela back. Is he still playing for him? He must He's, be playing for him. No. Um, well, Carlos Vela's got long-standing beef with... Um, There's your problem. And I think also you've got uh, Javier Hernandez used to be first or knocking the oh, Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. He's also got beef with the Mexican national team. So um, yeah, yeah. there's well, also... not helping themselves. There's all, yeah, there's all the politics and stuff that goes along um, with it. And then you've got some like really random ones. You've got Guandalope, uh just losing to Antigua and Barbuda. Um, I love so, the. I, I, I would love to actually try and get out to one of these games just to go to St. Kitts and Nevis and watch a footy game. Would be or like, yeah, or like Bermuda, Guyana. Uh, oh, you got Nicaragua. You got Nicaragua, uh, St. Vincent. Uh, you know, Nicaragua winning 4 1, Guatemala. Uh, you know, BTWs. this sounds like holiday destinations rather than like, football, yeah. They are, I've, I've, I've <laughs> only seen them in catalogs, I've only seen yeah. them in catalogs, honestly. You know, brochures, uh, even brochures. Cuba, yeah. Cuba, also part of this CONCACAF group. So, I suspect <laughs> the the away days in America, you <laughs> should giggle, uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, and also all of their games. So, you've got some slightly better. Slightly closer matchups. You've got Trinidad and Tobago against Nicaragua. That'll be a closer matchup in recent games. You've got the uh obviously you know of Puerto Rico. Uh they exist. <laughs> they won five one against the Cayman Islands, everybody's favourite tax haven, but obviously not. Yep. The, <laughs> not <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not well, the best. Well, of football. See if Matt Hancock can turn out for him. Maybe he's got citizenship. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should do it this way. <laughs> But we're going to leave CONCACAF there and we're going to go all the way too. We're going to take the CONCACAF away and we're with CAF as we go to the African qualifier. Now, this is qualification for the African, uh, the AFCON, so the Cup of Nations, which also feeds into the World Cup. I don't have time to explain how it works. Just trust me, it works. <laughs> um, there are lots and lots of groups. The biggest upset this break uh, or this international break so far is definitely, I need to find it now, Guinea-Bissau winning 1-0 in Nigeria. Um, a goal from uh, Mama Balde, who plays for Twath in League and getting the goal. Now, when you look at this Nigeria team, they've got like... Not only do they have Osimhen and Ianacho up front, they've got Iwobi, Indidi, Luckman, Chukweze. They've got a very, very decent team here. On the bench, they've got Simon, who was incredible at the Af at the last AFCON, Ajayi, Onyeka, Musa. Like, this is a very good squad. It just feels like, again, they might be being mismanaged, as is always the case mm -hmm. with Nigeria. Um, Jose Pereiro, currently manager there. Um Fotmob isn't even giving me any information about his profile, so that is his CV apparently. Um, but they have this evening taken uh, taken revenge and got a one nil win in Guinea Bissau. So the, the the fun didn't last for long, and it was Simon yeah, from a penalty scored the winner. So that is the only real upset in Afcon this round. The groups I'm trying to look for the exciting groups. They all seem fairly like straightforward. Uh, maybe. Egypt, Guinea is an interesting group in Group F. Mm -hmm. um, group E, you've got Angola and Ghana. Algeria and Tanzania in the same group. That could be a tricky one. But all of this kind of feeds into the AFCON 
Um, and there are a few more games this evening um, at the moment. Um, Guinea are beating Ethiopia 2-1. There we go. That is it. That is our calf roundup, I think, for now. Oh, and um, Thomas Partey didn't start for Ghana. I hope we leave him in Ghana, to be honest. Um, we sent out a physio with him. And everyone was like, oh, it's just to make sure he get in, gets injured. He doesn't get injured. I was like, nah, it's probably to keep an eye on him, the fucking creep. Uh, we need someone to make sure he's in his room. Um, so hopefully they'll leave him in Ghana. But we're going to leave Calf there. I'm going to go for a little bit of a break before we talk about, is it just Tottenham? Is, are we just going to talk about Tottenham? I suppose it's, I suppose it's Bayern on top of We should talk well. Nagelsmann as well. And Bayern. Spurs and Bayern coming right after... Where is it? This. <laughs> My name is David Artel, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. And here we are. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, it happened, guys. I was really hoping Conte would cling on till the end of the season, making things <laughs> so much more miserable there. But Tottenham, finally, they took their time. They still took their time about it. Um, they waited until their number one pick had been hired by Bayern and then sacked their manager. Um, but Conte is gone. Um, Andy, how unsurprised are you on a scale of one to ten? I, I, I am shockingly unsurprised. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only surprise was that we just didn't do it on the Monday of the mm. international break started, if anything. Yeah. They've done it a week later than I thought they would have done. Um but I mean, we've spoke about it in previous pods. I mean, both of both all parties didn't look like they wanted to be in this situation. They were just hoping they could ride it out to the end of the season. Obviously, with that three-three draw against Southampton, Conte decided he fancied a little trip to Italy and to stay there. <laughs> so um, he, you know, I think he must. I think he, he he's obviously got to the point where he doesn't feel he can achieve anything with his squad. Uh, and, there, and there was no benefit to him being there. Um, and yeah, I think it's something that absolutely everybody saw coming. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. as soon as he got hired, I thought it was a very odd fit for Tottenham. Uh, I just, you know, odd fit for players, odd fit of Daniel Levin, how he likes to run a football club. You know, everything about how Tottenham are, how Tottenham operate as a football club is completely at odds with how Antonio Conte operates. Uh, and as much as Antonio Conte has got to take his fair share of responsibility, which he's been quite good at not doing so far. He's been really good at saying it's everybody else's fault. Uh, but I think also with the wider issues, um, you know, at Tottenham, it's not just Conte. You've got Petro- uh, Patriarchy, who obviously part of his extracurricular activities over in Italy. It's got a bit of a cloud hanging over him as to whether that ban will be extended to England. But, you know, it does cause a few issues. And again, there's a bit of an oversight from Spurs' point of view as to how they probably weren't aware of this. Um, and again, it's kind of like they could go and bring in a Nagelsmann or a Pochettino and I'm not really sure what will change until the owners do. Uh, but it does make going on to um, the, who the new manager would be. It would be such a Pochettino thing to do, to sit at home for eight months waiting for the Spurs job to come back finally. <laughs> Just and then get back to the post. By Nagelsmann, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and not that, finish second in a one-horse race. It does sound pretty. <laughs> it's yeah. It's uh, but with yeah, with Nag- going on to Nagelsmann though. That is a that was a shocker. 
Mm, I feel yeah. now, Adam. I'll get your thoughts on this. How did you feel about Bayern firing firing him? I know they're not like running away with the title as they usually would be, but they're still in with the title. They're still in the Champions League. Granted, against Man City, have they just hired Tuchel because he beat City in the Champions League final? Is that why they've done it? Uh, no, I think it's been brewing for a while now. Um, there's been a lot of scepticism about Nagelsmann and how he embraces his players. It's probably not helped by the fact of his girlfriend at the time, who, just to bring a bit of context for those that don't know, when Nagelsmann first joined the club, he um, basically divorced from his wife um, because he decided to go with this girl who was a journalist at Build, who oh, reported God. on Bayern Munich. Now, in recent times, obviously, there has been this leak in the camp, and it turned out it was her <laughs> It was actually her that was leaking the actual tactics of Julian Nagelsmann. And that's hence why, after he got sacked, they actually broke up as well, because I think it transpired that she was uh, the leak. That's and why that's that happened. Why, okay. And that's why a lot of the players couldn't confront Nagelsmann about their thoughts or any like worries, because they were worried about it being leaked to the press. Um, so there's that element. But I think also... He hasn't been quite convincing in terms of his philosophy and what he tried to get at Bayern. Obviously, his relationship with um, Robert Lewandowski last year mm -hmm. was very frosty at times. Lewandowski obviously felt that there should have been a bit more emphasis around trying to support him in the attacking third. But obviously, Nagelsmann's a bit more pragmatic in terms of his style. He feels it's a bit more about a team environment, being together and you work together. Um, so there has been a lot of murmurs about his approach. Um, I feel it's just an appointment that just didn't go right for either the club or for him personally. Um, unfortunately, it just didn't kind of come together as maybe people thought from the outside because he is a mm -hmm. Bayern fan. He always wanted this job. And unfortunately, it just didn't happen. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, what ifs now for Nagelsmann. And I think the question will be is, does this kind of put his reputation into tatters now? I mean, where does he realistically go? You know, potentially he's not going to get favourable words from Bayern about his approach and the way he's managed down there. Um, but there is a coach there. Clearly, there is a coach. I just don't know at what level. I, mean, he's not, I don't think he's a bad coach. I mean, ultimately, I think the, I saw a stat when he got sacked saying that he's out of the seven or eight odd Champions League games they've played, they're unbeaten and they've kept clean sheets in uh -huh. all but one of them. You know, they've only lost three times this season and they're still only a point behind uh, Borussia Dortmund, who they thrash every single time they play them. <laughs> Dortmund are gonna, they're gonna yeah, throw it they're away. Don't worry. It. And it's, oh, yeah. I mean, and yeah, I think I was reading as well. Obviously, there is a lot of political issues. I think you know his own relationship. I think it was with Manuel Neuer as well. I think that was also a fractured yep. relationship. And I think, I think maybe with Nagelsmann, he's kind of, uh, for what the better word, pissed off the wrong people. Yeah. Bayern are a very, very political club. They always mm -hmm. have been. Um, and it's clearly more than football. I guess the difference of a Conte situation was he had already won a league title at Bayern. And you, you would have thought, I would have thought they would have left it to the end of the season. But yeah. perhaps there was a feeling that um, Tuchel was, you know, available. And they thought, you know what, let's just do it. Game. Yeah, I think that maybe maybe that's maybe that's led into their decision making somewhat. Mm -hmm. But I think um, he's what thirty four. 
Um, I'm, a, I'm 33 and he's already yeah, had a I few top class. Andy, what are you doing to me? I don't need to hear that. It's, yeah. it's like he's already had a few top class management jobs already. Uh, so he's got a good future in the game. And I think um, he was somebody, I think I would, I would love to see him in the Premier League, whether it's at yeah. Spurs or elsewhere. I think he would add to what is an exceptional coaching pool that's in the yeah, Premier yeah, League yeah. at the moment. I think it'll be really interesting if he goes, like, obviously, I think if he goes to Spurs, a part of me would be like, ah, frig, they've got him. Like, that's quite good. But then I look at their owners and go, oh, it doesn't matter who they've got. Nothing's going to work. So it's fine. I think, I hope that he sits and thinks about it more than, because I think what has come out of this whole Spurs and Conte thing is that I think with Pochettino, there was the players down in tools. And then there was Nuno uh, Mourinho, and he called out the owners and everything they did. And everyone thought, oh, it's just Mourinho being classic Mourinho, mm. like ignored him. And now it's happened again with Conte. I think the club as a whole are going to have a reputation amongst managers of going, like, they, they the football world is a very small world. They're going to be talking to each other. I, I feel like managers will think twice before about taking that job. Purely because they know that they'll they'll sell you the world. They'll tell you that they're going to give you everything. They told Conte that they'd back him. They told Mourinho that they'd back him. But they're not actually going to do it. So I think their own PR could kind of count them out of this and Pochettino could still end up in the job. But I think they should be doing all they can as a club to get Nagelsmann. And then when you get him, actually listen to him and actually back mm. him plus, and actually I, give him time. Plus, like, I think the only way that they raise significant funds is by selling Harry Kane, which Daniel Levy would do over his dead body. <laughs> and that's a well, catch well, too. I, yeah, and no manager's going to go there without the promise of Kane being there because he's the one thing in that team that's going to go, okay, well, have I got him? Yeah, okay, well, then that's what made Conte continue, right? Well, that's what made Conte mm-hmm. take the job, was, right, I can at least have Kane, we can go from there. But I honestly think, Andy, you'll be turning up at Old Trafford next year, I'm telling you now. I can no, see no, it already. No, no, Ted Hogg will be there for a while. Don't worry. No, no, Kane. No, Kane. Kane. Oh, Kane. I thought you meant... Yeah, sorry. No. I misheard that. I thought you said Nogas was like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, no, Kane, yeah. Kane will be turning up at Old Trafford next year, I think. That's what United are going to try and go for. Um, and I think it leaves Tottenham with the one bright spark they've got suddenly gone. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. For Bayern, though, Thomas Tuchel coming in... Um, we were talking about Bayern as looking like one of the scarier teams in the Champions League this year. Um, Adam, do you think this suddenly gives them a massive chance of winning it? He is great in cup competitions. Massive boost. He, he's got pedigree. He knows what to do with certain players. He, this mm-hmm. is his third time with Chupamoting as well. So he'll <laughs> oh, be managing him since PSG and uh, Mainz back in Germany. So, yeah, I think he's got all the credentials to win something, certainly this season with that squad. I mean, it's not like they're in a bad position, as Andy alluded to earlier. But, yeah, I think he's got the credentials. And it would be quite ironic if Thomas Tuchel goes to a second job since PSG, wins them the Champions League, and yet PSG is yet to win a, a Champions League since he left them as well. So Plus, It would be quite funny just to see Pep Guardiola fail in Europe yet again. <laughs> Wait and see. I'm just looking, and I think Tuchel's head-to-head against um, 
Guardiola is actually quite decent. I'm going to come back mm. with the next episode and look at that properly, but I think his record, apart from when he was at Mainz and Pep Guardiola was at Bayern Munich, which seems fairly one-sided, I think their <laughs> record is. I think his record is actually quite good against him. So it'll be interesting to see. That semi-final is yeah. going to be so, so... In the quarter-final, sorry. It's going to be so, so good. I'm super excited about that. Um, so, guys, any other business before we go? It's a bit of a shorter episode today, but is there any... Any other business? <laughs> no, if it wasn't for the anything. I was gonna say if it wasn't for the managerial sackings, there'd be even less business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's it, really, right? I think that is it, really. We're kind of England have played all their games. We're waiting for the rest of the games to finish. Um, and then uh Ireland lost one nil. That's annoying. Uh, or yeah, they've lost one nil. Boo. Um, and then we're waiting for the Premier League to come back. Um Yes. And then I'm going to be having, well, you're going to, listeners, you're going to come on a psychological journey with me across the next <laughs> 10 games because I don't know how this is going to go. And I'm absolutely shitting myself. Are we excited for Serie A and Premier League to return, guys? Cannot wait. Yeah, Cannot wait. Bring it back, please. Quickly, soon. Now. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on. So, guys, we are going to be back on next Monday. I think we're going to be back. Next Monday, we'll be back live. That will be our next episode. Same time, same place. Say bye, guys. Listeners, viewers, we will see you there. Sports Social Podcast Network.